0: Well, as always, it is a great joy to minister the Word of God to you this morning, and I would like for you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and in a few minutes we will be looking at verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This morning, I want to speak to you about a triumvirate of hope. In other words, three glorious truths that give us hope. Unlike any other religious document, only the Bible contains prophecy. Prophecies that give precise names and dates and places, hundreds of which have already been fulfilled literally. Including, as we studied last week, precise prophecies pertaining to the incarnation of Christ, pertaining to his ministry on earth, pertaining even to the very day that he would come into Jerusalem, pertaining to his sacrificial death, his burial, his resurrection, and so forth. And what an irrefutable argument for the authority of Scripture. And yet, most will not submit to that. Most will not believe Most will remain unconvinced, not because it's intellectually impossible to believe, but because of willful disbelief. The Word of God tells us that men love their sin more than God, so they will suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And even though the Bible is an amazing book written by God Himself, the vast majority of the world will scoff at that and reject it completely. Because belief is a matter of faith, not of intellect, and only the Spirit of God can convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Indeed, as the Apostle Paul affirmed in 1 Corinthians 1.18, the message of the cross is foolishness. It is moronic. It is idiocy to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. If you are within the sound of my voice this morning and you are a skeptic, or perhaps you are a practical atheist, you live as if you really are not accountable to God, and certainly you refuse to be, or perhaps you're listening and you embrace some other religion, what I am about to share with you this morning will be utter folly to you unless you Humble yourself before God and acknowledge your ignorance and acknowledge your sin and ask Him to show you the truth of His Word and especially the good news of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have been saved by His grace through no merit of our own, the words that I share with you this morning will be merely reminders of truths, that God has used to transform us, to give us a whole new perspective on life and indeed words that have given us eternal life. Today is Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Dear friends, this is an event so profound that if it were not true, all of Christianity would literally collapse in a heap of ruin. This is an event that has survived countless attempts by critics to deny it and to explain it away. In fact, there is no other event in history that has been so thoroughly scrutinized and yet proven to be true than this. And because no other event in history is so exceedingly offensive to those who refuse to worship the one true God, people are constantly trying to attack it. Indeed, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the crowning event of the life and the ministry of the Son of God. And it is utterly essential to saving faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 10, beginning in verse 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There have been hundreds of conspiracies to discredit the resurrection to somehow convince the world that it was all a hoax. In fact, from the very beginning, you will recall that the Jewish leaders bribed the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb because the Roman soldiers came and said, you're not going to believe this, but there was this incredible earthquake and and the stone rolled away and an angel sat upon the stone with, with blinding light. And, of course, the leader said, oh, we can't let this get around. This could really upset our power base here. So we've got to do some damage control. And so we read in Matthew 28 that they said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Can you imagine telling that to a judge? I would imagine the first thing the judge would say, well, if you were asleep, how did you know what happened? Nevertheless, that's what they said, and they took the money and did as they were instructed. And in Matthew 28, verse 15, it says, And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. It's interesting. Every year there seems to be another attempt to somehow disgrace the Lord Jesus Christ and refute his resurrection. Not too long ago, we had the Da Vinci Code, and then we have had the Gospel of Judas Iscariot. And, of course, all of those have been soundly refuted by even non-Christian scholars as well as historians. And you will recall even this last year, some claimed that they found some stone boxes in Jerusalem in a suburb that evidently contained the remains of Jesus and his wife Mary Magdalene and they came up with a documentary uh um, the it was called the lost tomb of Jesus on the discovery channel and so on and the film's producer James Cameron of titanic fame told the world that we we now have a ten, we now have tangible evidence that that Jesus existed but as you read what he went on to say it was certainly not the same Jesus of the bible well of course all of this drew immediate attention by scholars and scientists, and it was easily debunked, so profoundly debunked that it was quietly pulled from the bookshelves and from the television in humiliation. I'm sure you didn't hear much about that on the news broadcasts. And like fresh manure, it drew many anxious flies, but very quickly then turned back into dust for the next fool. But dear friends, what an astounding event. One that holds within it the keys to eternal life. An indispensable truth that's at the very heart of the gospel of Christ. In fact, Paul understood this. A converted rabbi, and we read some of this earlier, he said in 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you as of first importance, What I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve and after that to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep then he appeared to James then to all the apostles and last of all as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also more than enough evidence to stand up in a court of law. But this morning, my desire is not to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I do not believe it needs to be defended. And certainly there are those who have done so very thoroughly. But rather this morning, I want to share with you the theological significance and the practical implications of the resurrection in the lives of believers. So I draw your attention this morning to one single text in 2 Timothy chapter 2 where the Apostle Paul is writing to young Pastor Timothy. And may I remind you that Paul is writing from, actually from a dungeon, a Roman dungeon through another that would send the message. He is in chains and a hideous place. It was literally the septic tank of the Roman prison. He was in chains. He had no hope of escape. He was facing imminent execution. And he was now passing on the non-apostolic mantle to young Timothy, a pastor, his son in the faith. But before he died, he wanted to encourage Timothy and to share some things with him that were of paramount importance. And Timothy, of course, was experiencing mounting persecution from heretics inside the church as well as from pagans outside the church. And Timothy had become afraid, he had become discouraged, and the inspired apostle in Second Timothy is exhorting Timothy, Timothy to, to kindle afresh his gift and to exchange his fear with, with power and love and of a sound mind and to not be ashamed of the Lord and not be ashamed of the Apostle Paul and not be ashamed of the Gospel and to preach the Word come what may. And Paul knows that there are certain things that Timothy is going to need to know and need to never, ever forget in order to persevere to these ends. And here's what he said in verse 8 of 2 Timothy 2. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. Every Christian making a stand for Christ in these last days of mounting apostasy and persecution struggles with discouragement. We all do, if we're honest. All we have to do is look around and we see the moral freefall of our country as politicians and activist judges and apostate religious groups systematically eviscerate every vestige of Christianity within our culture, out of our schools, our colleges, get rid of it out of our universities, out of the workplace, out of the public forum, even out of the town square. And because biblical Christianity, and I underscore biblical, because much of what you see out there, especially on television, has nothing to do with the Bible. But biblical Christianity stands in stark contrast to the culture in which we live. And therefore, as I've said before, Christian bashing is the only politically correct form of hate speech in our country. We have virtually no voice in government We have been criticized, marginalized, ostracized, considered the lunatic fringe. And, of course, with all of that, it's easy to get discouraged. But, beloved, may I remind you that Jesus warned us that it would be this way. In fact, he promised that it would get worse, not better, right before he returns in particular. We know as we look at the Word of God that he has allowed Satan to rule this world until the Lord comes back again. In fact, in 1 John 5:19, it says the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And unbelievers ultimately are the ones who are Satan's servants, who rule the world. Those that the Bible call spiritually dead. Those who have no capacity to understand, much less live out divine truth. Those who deny that there even is a personal God to whom we must be accountable. They are at enmity with God, the Bible tells us. They are at rebellion and rebellion against Him. They are hostile to the true and the living God. The Lord says that they serve their father, the devil. And of course, we all understand that as we live in this world that they dominate. In fact, Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. There is a very high cost to following Christ. Christ. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And Jesus tells us that we have to take up a cross, even daily, and follow him. Be willing to serve him, even if it costs us our life. On, on average, we understand that 171,000 Christians worldwide are martyred for their faith every year. That's 47 People every day. Yet, where's the outrage? Yet, a lesbian talk show host will get on television and sob over a little dog named Iggy that she gave to her hairdresser in violation of a contract with a pet adoption agency that took it back. And it seems like the whole world cries with her. And her fans even Make death threats against the adoption agency. Dear friends, we live in a world that is absolutely mad with sin. Well, the Apostle Paul experienced similar hostility and insanity. And he knew that Timothy was going to experience the same thing and already had both in the church as well as outside of the church. And it's amazing how that Paul, even being very familiar with severe persecution in his life, carried on as if it didn't phase him. He even said in 2 Corinthians 12, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, the question before us this morning is wherein did he derive such strength? What motivated his tireless devotion? What sustained him even in the midst of relentless persecution? And certainly the natural temptation to want to finally just give up and say, I I, I just can't handle it anymore. Well, dear friends, the answer is rooted in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning we will focus on three essential truths that must remain in the forefront of Our mind, certainly it was in the forefront of Paul's mind and he wanted it to be in the forefront of Timothy's mind. And that is what I call a triumvirate of hope. He must remember, number one, the person of Jesus Christ. Number two, the power of Jesus Christ, that he was risen from the dead. And thirdly, the promise of Jesus Christ, because indeed he was a descendant of David. Now, first, I want you to notice in this text, the inspired apostle says, remember, in the original language, this is a command, not a suggestion. He is saying, remember something here. This is very important. Now, why would he tell him this? Well, I think the answer is quite obvious. It's because he knew that Timothy, like all of us, have a tendency to forget That's why, for example, Jesus commanded us to remember him in the ordinance of communion that we celebrated a few moments ago. A memorial that proclaims the death of Christ symbolically. A time where we can commune with him and rekindle our commitment to him and and even a sign that anticipates his return. You see, the Lord knew that we would be prone to forget And like weeds in a garden, the things of the world tend to squeeze out the things of God in our life. Many of those things are legitimate. We all have daily activities that we have to tend to in order to survive. But many things that we tend to are, frankly, illegitimate. Those things of the world that seem irresistible, that squeeze out God, squeeze out His Word, squeeze out service rendered to Him. As we chase after the fleeting pleasures of life, in fact, in 1 John two sixteen, we read that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, it's the lust of the eyes, it's the boastful pride of life. In fact, Paul called them the unfruitful deeds of darkness, sometimes so disgraceful we shouldn't even speak of them in Ephesians 5. Therefore, he went on to say in verse 15, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Now, I ask you this morning, when was the last time you remembered the things here in verse 8? The Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David. When was the last time you pensively reflected upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And the significance of that event in your life as a Christian, certainly for non-Christians, it's something that would never probably cross their mind. When was the last time you pondered the implications of Jesus being the descendant of David? (laughs) What difference does that make? When was the last time you taught these things to your children? Do I make my case that we need to be reminded of this? Again, for some, people will say, well, I've never thought of any of that. You know, quite frankly, I I think the Bible and the things in it is just a meaningless myth. The resurrection is a ridiculous hoax. And others would say, well, you know, I seldom think about these types of things, and I, I, I guess maybe I should. And the argument would be, yes, you should, because here we see it's the priority of a dying apostle. Now, may I suggest to you that you will learn much about a man in the last days of his life, especially when he is being tortured. And so, the Apostle Paul gives us here this triumvirate of truth, which would be the driving force of his faithful service. It's the driving force of his gospel message. It's the essence of his hope. Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the descendant of David. Now, first, let's notice what I would call the person and work of Jesus Christ because you cannot separate his person from his work. Now, remember, Paul is reminding Timothy of these core elements that he must never forget, that he must constantly preach. And first on his list is Jesus Christ. We know that Paul preached Christ and him crucified. This was the priority of his messages. And the tendency today, I believe, is to teach about everything and preach about everything but Christ, it seems. And even when he is taught, he is so distorted that he bears no resemblance to the real Jesus. Many times when I hear people talk about Jesus, they speak of him as if he was just another human being. That he was not the Son of God. That he was just some effeminate Peacenik, that basically embodied social liberalism and preached some gospel of, of, of tolerance and moral relativism. But dear friends, may I remind you that if we're going to remember Jesus Christ, we must remember who He is as He is defined in His Word. The Lord Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune Godhead. You must understand that He is co-equal. He is consubstantial, which means He is of the same essence. And He is co-eternal with God the Father. You must understand that biblically He is the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Consummator of all things. You must understand that He rules in absolute, omnipotent, sovereign power over His creation. You must understand that this Jesus is In his incarnation, which means when he, as God became man, surrendered only the prerogatives of his deity, but not the essence of his deity. You must understand that when he came to earth, he merely set aside his divine attributes, but he never divested himself of them. You must understand that he came to represent humanity as well as deity in indivisible oneness. You must remember that he came to reveal God to man, that he came to redeem men from the slavery of sin, and ultimately he came to rule as king of kings and lord of lords. You must understand that the Jesus of the Bible is the one that came and lived a perfect life and thus satisfied the law of God, something that we could not do because of our sin. And by His voluntary death on the cross as our substitute, we must understand that He satisfied the justice of God and purchased our redemption. And for all who place their faith in Him, He has promised to free us from the punishment of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and someday from the very presence of sin. This is the Jesus That we are called to remember we are called to remember a Jesus who died on our behalf and declares us righteous, who gives us eternal life and who adopts us into the family of God. We must remember that Jesus is the one to whom the father has given all authority and judgment and that someday he will judge all men. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Because He has promised this, we know that there will someday be a physical resurrection of all people, even of the unsaved dead, and He will judge the unsaved at the great white throne judgment, and they will be committed to an eternal conscious punishment in the lake of fire. This is the Jesus of the Bible. You must also remember that He is coming again, that He has promised that He is going to come again in power and in great glory And He is going to pour out His wrath upon this earth. He is going to destroy everything in this earth. Every man, woman, and child. Every tree, every animal. Everything that He has created to save those who have placed their faith in Him. And then He is going to renovate this earth. Return it back to Edenic splendor. He will rule upon this earth for a thousand years. And then He will ultimately recreate this earth. And turn it into a new heaven and a new earth and inaugurate the eternal state. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Well, I'm sorry, that's not the Jesus I worship. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I worship a a Jesus of love, not of wrath. I, I worship a God of peace, not of judgment. You see, I worship a God that is merciful, not a God of justice. I worship a God who wants me to be prosperous. I worship a God who wants me to be free from all my diseases. I worship a God that wants me to be successful, who wants me to be happy. Dear friends, if you worship that God, then you are an idolater because that is not the God of the Bible. That is a profound distortion. That is a newly invented God that does not resemble the God of the Bible. You see, you must understand, and this is again what Paul is reminding Timothy. Remember Jesus, because he is the one that came to this earth to live and to die upon a cross, not to make men happy, but to make men holy. To save men from their sin. And you will never have true happiness until you have the imputed righteousness of Christ and have been made holy because of his grace and his mercy. Jesus said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him, John 3.36. So Paul is saying, oh, Timothy, I am dying, but I want you to remember Jesus Christ. I want you to remember the anointed one, the one sent from God, the Messiah, the one who died in our stead, the one who satisfied the law, the one who conquered Satan and sin and death. Let that be the source of your strength. And when trials tempt you to despair, I want you to remember that the risen Christ is our shield and our sword and our deliverer. It is he who is our rock and our fortress I want you to remember, Timothy, that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with his, nor are are they worthy to be compared with the glory that will come. And, Timothy, I want you to remember when your body is racked with pain, when your strength is depleted, when you tremble in fear, I want you to remember Jesus who promised, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to remember to be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I want you to remember, as I've said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want you to remember that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want you to remember that. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In who? Christ Jesus. And when Satan and sin accuses you, Timothy, I want you to remember that Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father to make intercession. That he is our advocate. That he is our mediator. And because of him, no one can bring a charge against God's elect. For God is the one who justifies. So first of all, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Secondly, remember the power of Jesus Christ. In verse eight, he says, "Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead." More, more literally, that could be translated, "Having been raised from the dead." It's interesting that that Paul spoke of the priority of the resurrection in his preaching and in his living. In First Corinthians fifteen, we are reminded that of that again. He said it was of first importance to preach that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, we ask the question, why is this so important? Why would the resurrection be on the short list of a dying apostle as he endeavors to encourage a young pastor? Well, the answer is found in verses 17 In 19 of 1 Corinthians 15, he said, as we've read earlier, If Christ has not been raised, (laughs) our faith is worthless. And we are still in our sins. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Dear child of God, what he is saying is remember this. We serve a risen Savior, not a dead one. Remember that the tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. Not to let Jesus out, but to let us in. To see that He has risen indeed. Dear friends, as we study the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see that the resurrection proves that there is life after death. Timothy, I want you to remember that. Child of God, I want you to remember that, he's saying. This proves that Jesus Christ was indeed God. It proves the deity of Christ. For He... In fact, raised himself from the dead, along with the help of the Father and the Spirit, as the Scriptures teach. It also proves that his sinless perfection was accepted by the Father, because we see that his body did not undergo decay. You see, he took our sin only by imputation, not by guilt. It proves that his sacrifice was perfect, that it was accepted by the Father as payment in full, For the violated law. It proves that we are free from the penalty of the law. Because he died in our stead. Are you beginning to get the sense of the good news here? It proves that he paid the penalty in full. Justice has been satisfied. In fact, Paul said in Galatians 2.19 that we have died to the law. You see, the law has no further claim on us. Moreover, dear friends, it proves... That because we have been united to Christ through faith, we have been, as Galatians 2.20 says, crucified with Christ. And we have been buried with Him, Romans 6.4. Therefore, we are also united to Him in His resurrection. Jesus said in John 14.19, Because I live, you will also. You see, dear friends, His resurrection guarantees ours. For this reason, Paul rejoiced in the resurrection, saying that when this perishable will put on the imperishable, this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he says, Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57. And why is this so important for Timothy and for every saint to remember? Paul went on to say, therefore, my beloved. In other words, in light of the resurrection, in light of its implications in our lives... In light of all of this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Remember this, Timothy. Remember this, dear friends, at Calvary Bible Church. May I speak to you as a pastor here. I know that some of you have grown weary of life. Some of you have grown weary of service. Some of you seem to have lost your will to fight, to suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, as Paul told Timothy. For some of you, it seems as though the enemy is just, it's just too strong. And so it's as though you're saying, I, I think I just need to retreat in fear. I'm tired. I, I need to just lay down. I need to put down my sword. I fear that the battle for the truth is lost. I look around and I just see the metastasizing corruption of the world, and it, and it seems like it's, it's gaining momentum, and indeed it is. But dear friends, may I remind you what Paul reminds Timothy, and that is that we serve a risen Savior. The grave is empty, and therefore we overwhelmingly conquer in Christ Jesus. The victory has already been won, dear friends. We merely await the final triumph. But unless you remember the person of Jesus, and unless you remember the power of His resurrection, you will suffer defeat and be useless to fellow soldiers and to the King. In Philippians 3, Paul said that knowing Christ Jesus experientially and and personally, was the number one priority in his life. In fact, everything else was considered to be pure rubbish. And he said in verse 10 of Philippians 3, I want to know Him and the power of His resurrection. And in Ephesians 1, here's what he said, that he prayed for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. In other words, for believers, for all of us, for the eyes of our heart to be enlightened. What does he want us to see? He goes on to say, so that we might know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. Now, catch this when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Dear friends, I want you to notice that he did not pray that somehow we might receive this power. But rather, he prayed that we might be awakened to the fact that we already possess it. And therefore, we should live consistently with it. Later on, the apostle exploded in a joyous doxology in Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 20. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ having been raised from the dead. And then as he said in Colossians 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. And he went on to say, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You see, friends, we have to constantly remember the glorious truths and the promises of the Word of God so that we can gaze into the eternal rather than being transfixed upon the temporal, that can depress us and defeat us and discourage us. The enemy loves to intimidate. Satan loves to intimidate. Like Christians encounter with Apollyon in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. It was in the Valley of Humiliation that Apollyon came strutting across the field to approach Christian. And panic gripped Christian's soul. The hideous fiend made monstrous threats against him, offered him false promises, reminded him of his failures, even tempted him to doubt God, all of the things which are typical of the world in which we live. And gradually the persecution and the criticism began to take its toll upon Christian. And it began to wear him down he became discouraged, he became depressed, became weak, and finally he despaired of life itself. And finally, as the dragon was about to make its final death blow, we read that Christian quickly stretched out his hand and grabbed his sword, which was the Word of God, saying, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise again. Dear friends, there's the power of the resurrection. Though I have fallen, I will rise again. With that, Christian gave Apollyon a deadly thrust that made him fall back as if mortally wounded. Seeing this, Christian attacked again, saying, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Apollyon then spread his dragon wings and sped away in defeat. And Christian would see him no more. And then Bunyan Gives a little poem to summarize that scene in his life. And here's what it said. A more unequal match could there be? Christian must fight an angel. But you see, the valiant man by wielding sword and shield does make him, though a dragon, quit the field. Dear Christian, may I remind you that it is the power of the resurrection within you that empowers you to rejoice even in severe trials. It is the power of the resurrection within you that causes you to be, as Paul said, one who would suffer hardship as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It is that power that causes you to resist the devil, to persevere in the faith, to love your spouse and to raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It is that same power that can help you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. It is that power that can cause you to know the will of God is revealed in His Word. It is that power that can help you to abstain from immorality and all of the commands that God has given us and to live a transcendent life to the glory of God. That is the power of the resurrection. Timothy, I am dying. And I don't want you to be defeated. I'm concerned about you, my son. Please, I command you, remember the Lord Jesus Christ, having been raised from the dead. And finally, the third truth in this triumvirate of hope is the promise of Jesus Christ because He was a descendant of David. Dear friends, this speaks of two things. First, it speaks of His humanity because indeed, Jesus came in the flesh. He came in flesh and blood, a son from the loins of David. We know that biblically... Jesus had to take upon himself the nature of a man in order to be punished for our sin. Yet, he also had to be God in order to endure the sufferings of the elect. We know biblically that the work of redemption demanded a a theanthropon, a God-man. It demanded one who could supernaturally fuse the human nature together with the divine to form an indissoluble bond. Therefore, he was the son of a virgin according to the flesh, but he was Emmanuel, God with us according to the Spirit. Therefore, as a man, he came, as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 16, and therefore he can sympathize with all our weaknesses. Timothy, remember that. He came as a descendant of David, as a man. Therefore, he can sympathize with all that you're going through. That text goes on to say because he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, in other words, in light of all of this, here's what you can do. You can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. But not only does the phrase a descendant of David speak of his humanity, but it also speaks of his royalty, of his kingship of His promise to come again, not as a lamb that opened not His mouth, but rather as the roaring lion of the tribe of Judah, as King of kings and Lord of lords. And He will come someday in fulfillment to His promise to David in Second Samuel 7 and hundreds of other passages in the Old and New Testament. He will come and He will reign upon the earth in the glorious Messianic kingdom for a thousand years. In fact, God promised Mary in Luke 1 beginning in verse 32 that your son will be great and will be called the son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Dear friends, this morning, I would ask you to remember these glorious truths that are central to the gospel. Remember the person of Jesus The power of Jesus and the promise of Jesus that again, because He is risen, He will return as He has promised. And the question before you this morning is quite simply, what have you done with Jesus? You're either for Him or you're against Him. You must ask yourself, do I worship Him? Am I willing to be His loving slave Because of all that He has done for me, am I willing to serve Him or am I going to just dismiss Him as irrelevant? The destiny of your eternal soul depends upon your answer. But dear friends, please notice this. Look me in the eyes as I say this. May it never be said in this life or the next that you were not warned. Because today you have heard the gospel of Christ. And perhaps today on this resurrection morn, you will bow the knee to Christ and you will be transformed by the power of Christ and be raised to walk in newness of life and someday be raised to reign with him in glory. May God have mercy on our souls. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these eternal truths, and we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would cause us to live consistently with them, that you might be glorified in all things. I ask this in the precious name of Jesus and for his glorious sake. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harold's messages, please visit olivetreesources.org.